0: Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. We are in Philippians. Thank you, gentlemen, by the way. Appreciate your leading us. We are in Philippians chapter 3 tonight. We want to look at verses 4 through 9, uh, Paul's testimony of faith. I think this is one of the most, uh, well, it's one of the key texts in the New Testament, and uh, for obvious reasons as we get into it here tonight. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble. In Jesus' name, thank you for uh, being our our great God that we can meet with. And uh, thank you for the fellowship that we have uh, with you, with each other, around the things of God. How how wonderful you are. We just want to thank you for being such a good God. And that we can know you, we can learn of you, and we can live for you with purpose and meaning. And so, Lord, guide and direct us as we work our way through the text. I pray it would be a good study and and you would minister to our hearts as we uh, look into the Word of God together again this evening. Be with all the other ongoing ministries, Awana Youth Group. Thank you for all the workers, the hard work they put in. Uh, Lord, I know you're going to reward each one according to their labors. So, uh, Lord, bless the, the ministry of the Word in each one of those ministries as well this evening. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are in uh, Philippians, and we note we have worked our way down to chapter 3, Rejoicing in Christ, our goal. And uh, as we think about uh, the book of Philippians, there's a tremendous emphasis on unity, uh, and along with that comes an emphasis on humility. And then, of course, the theme is joy. Uh, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It's interesting, as we get into chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So it's like, okay, he's coming back to kind of a main theme of his, this joy theme. And he's saying, finally. But then he gets distracted, uh, almost, as it would appear. I I don't know that he did or not, but um, he has some other things he wants to share. He wants to share about the danger of false teachers, which he does in verse 2. And then uh, he, uh, building on this, uh, by the way, false teachers tend to be joy robbers. Uh, and so, you know, he says, finally, brethren, uh, rejoice in the Lord. But then he goes on to warn of these dogs and evil workers and, and uh, beware of the mutilation in verse 2. But then we come to verse 3. And verse 3 is a key verse uh, in terms of salvation itself. Uh, where he says, we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoicing Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's defining what is spiritual circumcision, which uh, circumcision was the mark of the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. And he's applying it spiritually. We are the spiritual circumcision. We are the, uh, we are the covenant people of God uh, who who bear these spiritual marks, if you will. So breaking it down, circumcision, the true covenant people of God, spiritually speaking. And uh, Paul is very clear about this at the end of Romans chapter 2, as we looked at last time. But then, uh, who, what marks the, the true covenant people of God? Well, it's really a spiritual, spiritual realities. And he breaks it out in three ways. They worship God in spirit, true heart servants, true worshipers of God. Uh, They are those who rejoice in Christ Jesus. Rejoice means to literally glory in or boast in Christ Jesus as our all-sufficient Savior for salvation. And then we have no confidence in the flesh. Uh, That is, human ability or performance makes no contribution in making me right with God. So these three marks are those of the true circumcision. Uh, We worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we don't have any confidence in the flesh Um, That's not where our trust is at. Well, all believers share in the same faith. The Bible is clear in Ephesians 4, 5 that there is one Lord, one faith. And so we all share in the same saving faith. And then as we now come to verse 4, uh, he really continues the thought that he began in verse 3. And what we have in verse 3 is really kind of a, a great definition of saving faith. Here's the mark of the true circumcision, those that are truly the covenant people of God. And he's contrasting this, you know, with the, those mutilation emphasizing the outward physical sign, but with no inward reality, and he's contrasting that with true believers. Well, Paul now goes on as he develops, I think, the thought of verse 3, which is really emphasizing what defines uh, true believers, the the marks of of, uh, true believers. And uh, he now gives his testimony in verses 4 through 9. This is the most personal of Paul's testimony. Paul gave his testimony anywhere else in the New Testament, by the way? Yeah, all over the place, Right. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, chapter 26, Galatians chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and so forth. I mean, Paul's testimony is all over the place. This is the most personal. A lot of the testimonies are kind of historical, recounting what happened, you know, for example, in Acts, uh, as the Lord Jesus Christ uh, addressed him on the, on the road to Damascus, and and so forth. But uh, this is very personal in terms of what's happening in his heart in relationship to salvation. And so this is a a very important text in in that regard. Uh, Let's have somebody uh, read for us verse 4 to get us going here tonight. Uh, Who wants to... Oh, let's Wait a minute here. I think I got one more slide. I do. Yeah. Here's the background of what we're looking at. He's talking about Jews. And, of course, he's going to show his (laughs) credentials, Jewish through and through. He's talking about the Jews. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. They don't understand. They being ignorant of God's righteousness, how to be right with God, through God's provided righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness. There's their problem. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So the key error in Judaism was seeking to establish their own righteousness, and it was the key error in Paul's thinking prior to his conversion. By way of application, it is the key error in the religionist uh, thinking to this very day. So that kind of gives us the background as far as what we're looking at in terms of his personal testimony. Okay, who wants to go ahead and read for us verse 4? Yes, Dale? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's pretty confident, isn't he? If somebody else can say, hey, I have confidence in my flesh in terms of what I'm doing will help me on to God... I've got as many credentials as anybody else, is really what he is saying. Now, he's already said in verse 3, right, that those who have the true mark of God, the, the true circumcision, they don't have any confidence in the flesh. That's what he's already said. That's what he just said in verse, at the end of verse 3. But now he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more. I'm more so. So the Judaizers wanted to brag on their outward religious credentials. And he says, if you want to do that, I can out-brag all of you. My credentials are as high as anybody else's if we want to to go that way. So for the sake of argument, he is saying this to make a point. He obviously doesn't think that the flesh is going to get him uh, in a right relationship with God. But he's saying... Uh, you know uh, if you 're going by human standards, records, qualifications, uh, credentials measurements i 'm at the top of the list here. I mean he, he really thought in terms of if you want to go down that route, my credentials will outdo your credentials if we 're going to go that way in terms of fleshy standards. Uh, he definitely saw himself as right at the head of the uh, head of the pack here in that regard now. Um, We see Paul, before his conversion, was a very zealous guy as far as Judaism. Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I advanced to Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I mean, he was a go-getter. I mean, he was going to be like number one religious zealot for Judaism here. Uh, He was in that category. And so that's what he's saying here. You know, you think, hey, because of the flesh, whatever it's done in terms of achievements, in terms of uh, religiosity, uh, if anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more. He's got more religious credentials than anybody, is really what he is saying. Okay, uh, any other thoughts there? All right, let's press on. Who wants to read uh, verses uh, 5 and 6? 5 and 6? Yeah, John? Okay, so he gives us his credentials. He gives seven of them here, seven credentials. And he begins here in verse 5, circumcise the eighth day. Well, we know that a major emphasis with very pious Jews and especially Judaizers was circumcision, which took place for male children on the eighth day. And so he says, yep, I was right there. I'm Jewish by birth. Uh, I went through that initial inauguration as far as the, the covenant ritual. And uh, so he says, yep, this, this is part of my, my uh, uh, qualifications here. If you want to go this way, as far as confidence in the flesh, I'm more, uh, starting with the circumcised the eighth day. Uh, circumcision. Uh, circumcision was ordained of God as a sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Genesis 17. It's considered to be the most essential rite in Judaism. Uh, To be an uncircumcised Jew was in effect a denial of being Jewish. However, Abraham was saved at least 14 years before the outward sign of circumcision was given to him. Abraham was saved by faith alone, which Paul develops clearly in Romans chapter 4, of which circumcision was merely the outward sign. However, as time went along, the Jews began to emphasize just the outward ritual and neglected the inward reality of faith. What they ended up with was a mere religious ritual with no real heart no real faith relationship with God. By application, we might compare those that hold to infant baptism, religious ritual today, as in this same camp of thinking. When they claim that a ritual is somehow involved in salvation in contrast to faith alone in the heart, Uh, the same essential error is is in view. So that's what he's really battling here in terms of the uh, Judaizers. But he says, okay, you want to talk about credentials of the flesh? Yep, I was circumcised the eighth day. Number two, of the stock of Israel. He wasn't merely a, a proselyte. He wasn't merely a convert to Judaism. He is of the stock of Israel. He, he's a blood Jew. Uh, he has a relationship going way back to the patriarchs. So that's what he's saying here of the stock of Israel. I'm a full blooded Jew. I'm not merely just a proselyte. Nope, this is my, this is my heritage. I'm of the stock of Israel. And then, of the tribe of Benjamin. Of the tribe of Benjamin. It was a prestigious tribe. Um, Benjamin was the youngest and the favored son of Jacob. Uh, Where did the first King Saul come from? Well, from the tribe of Benjamin. And as you go along in history, where was uh, the capital city, Jerusalem, and the temple located? Well, it was in the confines of the tribe of Benjamin, which kind of blended with Judah as we go along there, and really the two tribes that stayed with David after the line of David, after the kingdom was divided, was Benjamin and Judah. So there's a lot of prestige related to the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was of the, I'm of that prestigious tribe here. And then he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In other words, Paul is saying, when it comes to Hebrews, I'm all Hebrew." That's what he's saying. He said, in terms of my my language, the culture, the customs, my heritage, I'm as Hebrew as it gets. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. That's my whole cultural background. Uh, And in contrast to a Hebrew of the Hebrews, what other kind of Hebrews might you have? Yes. And, And Hellenistic Jews. They were those who wanted to kind of combine the Greek culture uh, in the Roman culture with Judaism. So they were kind of like seen as the, the Hellenized Jews, you know, the compromised ones. They weren't the pure, they weren't really keeping the pure faith like the Hebrews ought to do. He said, Nope, no, I, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew through and through. I, I didn't take on that Hellenized flavor here. Nope, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then he says, uh, concerning the law, a Pharisee. The word Pharisee means a separated, separated one. Uh, separated ones. Uh, they, they were the most conservative uh, sect of the, of, the Jewish, uh, of the Jews. It was only about 6,000 of them during the time of Christ, but they had a tremendous influence, tremendous impact in terms of the society. Uh, the Pharisees were the ones who took the law most serious. They were the strictest sect, as it says in the book of Acts. And so uh, he says, concerning the law, you know, and that's what the Pharisees were all about, we keep the law. We are a set-apart people, and what sets us apart is we are fanatical about the law. He was a Pharisee. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. In contrast to the Pharisees, who were the, uh, the conservatives, the fundamentalists, if you will, in terms of the law, you had the liberals, and what, was they, what were they called? Yeah, the, Sad, the Sadducees. Right? And that's why we say they were sad, you see, because they were the liberals anyway. The Sadducees and the Pharisees. But he was of the Pharisees concerning the law of Pharisee. He wasn't a liberal. He wasn't a liberal. Nope. So we took it serious. I was of that group that takes it the most serious of anybody in our whole Jewish faith. So that's, uh, we're up to, uh, uh, f- through five things. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. And then number, uh, verse 6 and number six, concerning zeal persecuting the church. Now, is that a good thing in terms of a qualification? Well, not from the church's perspective, right? But if you're bringing forth Jewish credentials, hey, this, I mean, you were a champion for the Jewish faith. You, you got this, this rival, heretical sect that's trying to get some traction here. And the Jews, say we need to stamp that out. That's false religion. It's going a different direction. We don't want to go that way. Well, he was very zealous about this, persecuting. He tried to destroy the church. Just by way of an overview here. Paul was involved in the martyrdom of the first martyr of the church. I mean, he was there. uh, In scattering the Christians and imprisoning them. Persecuting this way to the death, as it says in Acts 22. I mean, that's pretty intense. Christians were terrified of him. So much so that after his conversion, they were very skeptical of it being real. Uh, His zeal and sincerity could not be questioned, but he uh, he was sincerely wrong. I mean, before his conversion, as far as his zeal for Judaism and the the Jewish faith, boy, he was very zealous, as seen in his his, uh, efforts to try to stamp out Christianity, persecuting the church. And then he says, finally, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, what does he mean by this? Is anybody uh, concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. From an outward standard, yeah, that's right. We know nobody keeps the law. And and getting to Romans chapter seven, Paul himself will admit that you know, as far as coveting and so forth. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as far he was, he's saying I was a model Jew. You really didn't have anything on me. He said, "Well, you know, Paul is consistently breaking the law here, breaking no, no, no." He said, "Outwardly." I was keeping the law uh, very consistently concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So outward conformity to this legalistic lawish system, boy, you really couldn't have didn't find anything on him. Very, very consistent. Okay. Uh, so in summary, Paul's religious credentials were great in terms of religious right, ritual, religious heritage. Religious law-keeping, religious zeal. Hard to keep up with this guy, right? Yep. He, you want to compare flesh uh, credentials? He's right there. Paul had an impressive, impressive resume in the flesh. If anyone had reason to put their confidence in fleshy credentials, it was Paul. He had all the credentials that the most devout Jew could ever hope to have. As man looked at it, he had a 4.0 in religion. Yet Paul came to see that all these supposed credits were useless for salvation. Their credentials in and of themselves were not bad. I mean, it's not bad to be a circum- circumcised if you're a Jew, right? No, in fact, there's everything right about that. I mean, God ordained this. And so these credentials in and of themselves were not bad. It's not bad to belong to the tribe of Benjamin, right? See, say, Paul, that's bad. That's not, no, 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 it's good. But if you trust them for salvation, they're deadly. That's the whole point. So, by way of application today is the proud religious person. Uh, That's what Paul was, a very religious person. Uh, They have been baptized, confirmed. They have long-term ties with the church. They go to church regularly. They seriously try to be good people. They try to live by the commandments. They're moralists. They're involved in church activity and promoting their religion. You see, these people are religious, but they don't have a relationship with Christ. In fact, the problem is that they put their faith in their religion instead of in Christ himself. And that makes all the difference. And that's where he's going to go as we get into the remaining, uh, remaining verses that we're going to look at here tonight. All right, any other thoughts there before we proceed? Yeah? Yeah, it reminds you a little bit of Ephesians tonight, right? Not a but Paul could boast. Right, could. that's right. I mean, if you're comparing just in the flesh and you keep it on that level, yeah. But yeah, he, he will bet no one can boast. Yeah, that's right. Amen. That's good. Ephesians 2 9. Uh, somebody else had a hand up? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you had it up, maybe you put it down. Anyway, it's all good. Uh, okay, who wants to uh, read verse 7 for us? Just a little verse, but we're going to. Yeah, okay, Vince. I'll come back to you, Dave. Okay. Okay, we get into the good stuff here. Uh, thank you. Uh, notice the word but. He says all these things. And then he says but. What kind of a word is but? Other than a three-letter word. Other than a small word. It, it's a contrast word. That's right. It's a transitional contrast word. So in contrast to what he's been talking about, all these credentials in the flesh, he's going he's gonna to sh- shift gears here. And this... Uh, word, but denotes repentance. You know what repentance means? What's the idea of repentance? It literally means to have a change of mind. And you're going to see where he previously had all of his stock in all these fleshy qualifications, not anymore. He's had a complete change of mind that we call repentance to where his stock is now uh, in the Lord alone. What things were gained to me? You see, previously, these were religious credits. These were religious credentials to help him on to God. Uh, very religious. The rituals, the heritage, the performance, the zeal, all of this. It's like, man, this is what it means to be the people of God. And he says, nope. Uh, what, all these things I saw on the positive side of the ledger, now I see as a negative. They were not helping me at all. Uh, Again, not necessarily in and of themselves bad, but to trust in them, it becomes a negative. Uh, What things were gained to me? I thought they were gained to me. I thought these were, you know, helpful, flesh credentials. Uh, What things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. Uh, Counted is an accounting term, and uh, it's really the idea of a spiritual calculation here that relates to a, a whole change of mind. Before I thought it was gain, thought this was in the plus category. Not anymore. Uh, Now I count them all in the negative category. They're they're not doing a thing for me to help me on to God. And really we have the idea of choice here in this word counted. I have counted. I came to the point where I, I count all my religious credentials as nothing. And now Christ as everything. And so this really, I think, is the essence of a saving faith commitment. Uh, before, we think in terms of what we're doing to help us on to God. And now we realize, no, I, it's nothing. All of that I count as loss uh, for Christ. In order to have Christ, I've got to say, this other stuff doesn't help me at all. I've got to put my trust in Christ alone. And that's where he has come. The great exchange. Those things that were previously considered gain, he set that all aside and now I put all of his stock in Christ alone. I've counted all loss for Christ. Okay, uh, my next slide here. It's an either-or situation. It's either religion or Christ. You, can't, you can hold to one or the other, but not both. Not at the same time. It's like having two chairs in opposite sides of the room. One cannot sit in both chairs at the same time. Uh, it's difficult, very difficult. You can't sit in both chairs it's either one or the other. In the case of saving faith, we remove ourselves from the chair of religious works and self-effort and rest in the chair of the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. Thus we rest, depend on, put our faith in Christ alone. And that's really the exchange that he's talking about here in verse seven, which is such a great verse on salvation. What things were gained to me, all his religious credentials, I counted it all loss. It's not doing a thing for me. I counted all loss for Christ. Gave it all up. Great exchange. Put my stock, my faith in Christ. All right. Any other thoughts there? Yeah. Bill? So would the religionist with the basic issue be idolatry? Mm-hmm. I would say so. Anything that you put in the place of God is, is really an idol. So, yep, that's one way to describe it. I think so. And it can be pretty subtle sometimes, like even good things. Um, Yep. That's good. Yeah. I was thinking about this verse in the previous one, which you saw that list of things. What would be a contemporary equivalent of that? Yeah. I thought something, for example, was, you know, I was baptized. Yeah. When I was a baby, I went to catechism, Right. Yep. Amen. That's, a, that's right. Same principle. Yeah. Same, same. Same idea. I'm a religionist. I'm very involved. I've got all these religious credentials. And we t- talk to people. A lot of them say that type thing. Yeah. Well, well I'm, I'm involved in this church. Okay. And say nothing about Christ. You know. So it always comes back to Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Have to say, have to Jesus, That's right. Amen, brother. Amen. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Let's press on. Let's have somebody read verse 8 for us. Who wants to read that? Dave? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. Okay, thank you. What a great verse this is. It's one of my favorite salvation verses. Of course, I say that about every verse I come to here, but verse 3, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. Yeah, I'm going to roll here. I really like this chapter. It's one of my favorite salvation chapters. It really is. Uh, what do you get out of yet indeed? Well, whatever you get out of yet indeed, I don't think uh, you have gotten out of it what you need to get out of it. And I'll tell you why. Uh, note this. Yet indeed, this phrase is actually a translation of five little Greek words. These, uh, called particles. This is a translation of five little Greek words. Paul strings them together to show the intensity of his conviction in this. A literal translation would be, but indeed, therefore, at least even. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense though, right? That's not a very good translation as far as understanding. But you understand, that doesn't make any sense in English. But it does bring across an overwhelmingly strong emphasis of contrast that Paul is making. It emphasizes the passion that Paul is expressing. He speaks with very strong feeling here. That's what I want you to see. So when we read, yet indeed, yet indeed, this is intense. In the Greek, it's very clear. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. So notice he uh, is strengthening this. Earlier he's mentioned these seven things where he says, uh, you know, what? these things were all gained to me. I counted loss. But now he strengthens it. He makes it even more comprehensive. Uh, I also count... All things. We can add to the ledger. We've got seven things. Let's keep adding to the ledger. I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Uh, He mentions this uh, counting all things loss uh, really twice in this verse. He says, "I, I count all things loss and then a little later in the same verse here, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. So he's talking about uh, these, uh, this emphasis here in terms of uh, losing all things. Uh, no confidence whatsoever in the flesh. Uh, whatever the flesh can contribute. I don't have confidence in any of it at all. I count all things lost. And again, the great exchange for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Again, this word excellence is an excellent word. Uh, excellence of the knowledge. This is a Hebrew way of saying the excellent knowledge or the surpassing value of knowing. I think Numerical Standard so is that, right? Is that, somebody got the Numerical Standard? Or the far superior value of knowing Christ. Nothing can compare to how precious this knowledge is to Paul. And uh, so indeed, notice that word knowledge here. Uh, this, this surpassing value this, uh, of this knowledge, uh, the knowledge. And, and the, there's, this is the intense word for knowledge. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It's deep, personal, experiential knowledge is the idea here. It's an intense word here. Um, two things as far as knowledge here. Uh, this knowledge of Christ involves two things. Yes, one must know the facts of the gospel, the truth of, of Christ. But one must know the Lord personally in their heart, which is what Paul is emphasizing here. And uh, you know there's a tremendous emphasis uh, in the New Testament on the knowledge of the truth. You have to know something in order to get saved. People say, well, I just, I just go along. I just had a feeling. Uh, no, you, you have to know the truth of the gospel. And you respond to the truth. There's some knowledge involved that you respond to. Uh, note this emphasis. This is just a summary I'd really love to take an hour and flesh it out with you, but a saving knowledge of the truth. God desires all people to be saved and to come to what? The knowledge of the truth, which is kind of shorthand for the gospel. Uh, This is what the gospel is all about, the knowledge of the truth. Well, the knowledge of sin. Uh, The law brings us to that point, shows us uh, the knowledge of sin. The knowledge of Christ as Lord in 2 Corinthians uh, 4. Uh, the, Paul ties with the gospel. The knowledge of Christ as Savior, which is what he's talking about here in context in 1 Timothy chapter 2. The knowledge of righteousness by believing. This is what the Jews were ignorant of. And then in Hebrews, the accountability for the knowledge of the truth. Uh, there is no more sacrifice for sins for those who. Uh, if they re- reject the knowledge of the truth after they have received it. There's, there's nothing more uh, for them. So a tremendous emphasis in the New Testament on the knowledge uh, of the Lord, the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, and so he says, I've counted everything lost. I put all my stock in this, in this knowledge uh, of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Of course, Christ means anointed one, corresponds to the Hebrew Messiah, Uh, The promised one, this coming deliverer. Uh, Knowledge, uh, and I've I've come to see it in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, Jesus means Savior. Uh, My Lord. Uh, Lord, of course, means God, Master. And you understand that uh, Paul's uh, conversion was a lordship experience. It really was. I mean, on the road to Damascus... uh, Here's what happened in Acts chapter 9. He recounts it three times in the book of Acts. He fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, now he does so with knowledge, right? Right? Well, he's, he does so with knowledge because Jesus just said, I'm him. He says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> Whoever you are, I'm, I'm thinking you're in charge here. I'm on my face here. And he says, uh, I'm Jesus. Trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, that's conversion. What do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, rise, go to the city. We've told you what you must do. That's what I say. Uh, when he says, my Lord here, this is going back to his experience when he came to the knowledge the recognition, the understanding of who Jesus was as his Lord. And then he says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. I had to do this in order to gain Christ. Uh, I suffered the loss of all things. Again, he counted all things loss, as he said earlier in the verse. He, and he's now forfeiting any, any trust in any of these things. It doesn't put any merit in any of these other things whatsoever, and there was probably a lot of things that goes that went into this. As far as if I'm going to really recognize Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'm going to have to. That means I'm going to forfeit a lot of things. A lot of things going for him, a lot of prestige, all all kinds of things. Uh, Counting all loss means depending on Jesus alone as Savior, but for Paul, it also meant recognizing Christ as personal Lord. Uh, This is what. Uh, This is uh, the most intimate passages on Paul's personal testimony. On the road to Damascus, in his heart, he counted Jesus as his personal Savior, but also as his personal Master. There could be no doubt that Paul had a lordship conversion. This is the essence of a saving faith. One recognizes Christ as the most important person. Who is the sovereign over them? They recognize him as the one who can save them. In order to be a Savior, Christ must be recognized as Lord. Saving faith recognizes Christ as the Lord who saves. That's Paul's testimony. Uh, let's see my nicks. Yeah, this is where I wanted to go. As a result of his commitment to Christ, Paul forfeited many things. The practical outworking of such a commitment meant that Paul may have been uh, disinherited by his relatives, disowned by his former friends, persecuted by and counted as a traitor by his countrymen, forfeited the wealth he would have had by virtue of his position as a Pharisee, given up his reputation, respect, prestige in Israel, forfeited all the benefits uh, that his previous religion seemed to afford him. He says, You know what? Kiss it all goodbye. Uh, for whom? For whom? For, for this one that he now calls Lord, uh, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish uh, that I may gain Christ. This is interesting. He's kind of saying, this is what's involved in, a, in, in conversion. This is involved in my conversion experience that I may gain Christ. Uh, this word rubbish is an interesting word. Uh, this word was used in two ways. It was used to speak of excrement, manure, or, or dung. You know, I'm using the same, same meaning. And it was used of garbage uh, that was discarded to the dog. So whether you translate it as count it all manure or count it all garbage, the point is clear. These things have no value and in fact are defiling and rotten. Really pretty strong language, wouldn't you say? All these things that he has mentioned and and no matter what you want to put over here in in my credit category, I just count it all as dumb or garbage that I may gain Christ. Well, why did he state this so strongly? Why would Paul say this so strongly? I mean, it's pretty strong, almost offensive language. To say that all the religious things that I used to count as gain, I now count as excrement? Are you kidding That's going to get you kicked out of the Jewish council for sure. Uh, Seems to be extremely offensive. He is saying this about things that were even ordained of God, such as circumcision. The reason he says it so strongly is because if you trust in it, it will damn your soul. If you put your confidence in it at all, you will not go to heaven. Therefore, Paul discarded trust in all these things in the strongest of terms possible. That's what I want us to see here. And the, strongest of the He says, that I may gain Christ. What if you don't do this? Well, it sounds to me like Paul saying, this is necessary that I may gain Christ. There has to be this counting where I don't put my stock in anything else other than in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Uh, this is the change of mind that is required to gain Christ. This is really a description of, of I think, the nature of saving faith. All the religious credentials were worthless. All of the flesh credentials were worthless. Yeah. No, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, Paul could have been a little smarter and sober and not basic. He could have you know, I'm going to keep all these things and keep Christ. So I'm yeah. Re- I'm not going to add Christ to all these things and then we can get along. Right? Amen. Yeah, he, did. he didn't do that. He says these things are mutually exclusive. Amen. One or the other. And Preach it. Amen. I mean, actually, so You cannot even put it in the same Yeah, uh, amen. Formula. That's right, amen. Uh, you know, and it, it's so true. People do kind of want to have it both ways. And what I call easy believism seems to kind of cater to that. You know, I'm working with this guy, and he says, I don't want to go to hell, but I'm not really willing. I read to him the story of the, the rich young ruler, and he said, that really bothers me. He says, because I kind of want to have it both ways. I said, well, that's just the problem. You can't have it both. Who's going to be your Lord? Is it going to be your money God, like the rich young ruler? Or is it going to be Jesus? Who's going to be your God? And he's wrestled with this. <laughs> so, of course, Lord and Savior go together. But, uh, yeah, um, that I may gain Christ. I count it all rubbish. Very, very strong statement that I may gain Christ. You know, don't talk to me about your religious background, your religious credentials, all these things you're doing. It's all garbage. And I'm, and I'm sanitizing it, the term. <laughs> it's not going to help you on the guy. In fact, if you trust it, it'll damn your soul. It's a big deal. Uh, is your trust in Christ alone? I mean, on my deathbed, I'm thinking Christ alone is my way in here. There's nothing else. I'm thinking that long before I get to my deathbed. I'm thinking that right now. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm thinking about that story about this guy, this Catholic guy who was dying and he had the, the crucifix on his chest. I think this was Ironside who told this story. And, uh, you know, the, the, the priest is there giving last rites. He's got the crucifix. And, and so they told Ironside, the guy's dying. So he goes in there and, he, and he's trying to remove it. And the guy said, no, the, the crucifix, the crucifix. And Ironside said, it's not the crucifix. It's the Christ who died on the cross, and so he shared the guy. And the guy finally says, Oh, it's not the crucifix. It's Christ. Yeah, that's it. You know, that's the point. It's all Christ. Give up all this other religiosity. Whatever it is, that I may gain Christ. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to gain Christ. All right. I think I beat that to death, but I wanted to a little bit. Yes. amen. Yeah, I think, amen, sister. That is so true. Uh, and humility is the, is the key there. And we've got to humble ourselves at the foot of the cross here. And that uh, is very humbling. We kind of hold on to that human pride. Yeah, amen. Well said. All right, let's finish out verse 9. Who wants to read that for us? Anita. Boy, if if you're looking for one verse that says we're saved by faith, this is not a bad one. This is a great one. It's one one of those strong verses in the New Testament that says we're saved by faith. And there's a lot of them. Be found in Him. I counted all this as garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in Him. That is, in Christ. Wycliffe says, Here is Paul's most concise statement of justification by faith. Certainly one of them. Be found in him not having mine own righteousness. Okay, you got something to offer, right? I mean, you're you're coming to God now. He's high on his throne, and you have some right, you have something to present to him, right? No, you don't. You have no righteousness. Nothing is acceptable. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, it says in Isaiah 64, 6. Not having mine own righteousness. I don't have anything. No rightness. I'm all wrong, just like you were saying. Very humbling. I don't have anything to be... Not having mine own righteousness. None. Trying to keep the law. Self-righteousness. Religious righteousness. It's nothing. I don't have anything. Zero not having mine own righteousness, don't have any of my own, which is from the law. Try, trying to keep the law, trying to keep all the rules, zero. Not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So how how do you acquire that? How do you how do you get righteousness? Well, it's through faith in Christ. You put your faith in what you're doing, zero. You put your faith in Christ. You now have what the Bible calls imputed righteousness. It's put to your account because of your faith in Christ. We're made right with God on the basis of faith. When Paul looked at his own record, although impressive to men, and I admit it's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, I think so. Although impressive to me, he found he was spiritually bankrupt. But when he trusted Christ, he realized that God had put his sin to Christ's account on the cross and then put Christ's righteousness to his account. That's grace. We don't deserve it. Unmerited favor. What a grace deal. Christ gets all my sin. I get all his righteousness. And if I believe in him, his righteousness is put to my account. That's grace. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. he made him who knew, talking about Jesus, made him who knew no sin, no personal sin, to be sin for us. He took all my sin on the cross and yours, that we might become the righteousness of God. The right, we're as right as right can be, as right as God is, the righteousness of God in him. How right are right. you? You can't get any more right than this. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Where do you get this right? You get it from God. And on what basis? By faith. By faith. Twice he says this in this verse. Through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. So the source of this righteousness that comes from God is not from self. It's not from religion. Not from rituals, good works. No, it's from God, appropriated by faith. Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel truth is that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Everything else must be counted as loss. That's the nature of a true saving faith. If you're depending on anything else, you're not quite there yet. And so finally, a closing illustration. A woman was attending a seminar seminar, uh, where the gospel was being shared. She spoke out, you mean I can't do anything to save myself? The leader replied, that's right. She then said, well, if that's true, then God help us. And that is the whole point of the gospel. God has come to our aid in the person of Jesus Christ when we were totally unable to help ourselves. And now we must put our faith in him alone. And when we do, we have the righteousness which is from God by faith. And if you don't have that righteousness, you don't have it. It only comes from God only on the basis of faith alone. I hope I've destroyed your religion because it won't help you unto God. The only person, the only way you get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Uh, He's our glorious Savior. He's all our righteousness. I don't have anything to offer my own. You know, sometimes you kind of start thinking that way. You start, there is no holier than thou. We're all in the same category. We're all sinners, defiled. We don't have any righteousness. None of us do. But when we put our faith in Christ, we get His righteousness. All grace. Glorious, glorious gospel truth there. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, well, very good. Let's uh, share some prayer items here. We have a prayer sh-